1: Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elm Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Thomas Oster-Cundell, the 92-mile walk of the podcast. I'm tired. I'm so very, very tired. And I'm joined by the interim football advisor of the pod, it's Martin Riley. Is he a smart decision? Only time will tell. And finally, I'm joined by the protracted search for a new manager of the podcast. No rush, lads. It's not like we have pre-seasons starting in less than a month. It's Dan Holdsworth. How are we, Dan?
2: I'm good, mate. I'm good, mate. I'm, um, Yeah, I'm, I'm as frustrated as you are about this manager hunt. Come on, Leeds. Pull pull the finger out.
1: Did you at least have something good to eat to try and get yourself over that frustration?
2: I did. I had a... It wasn't a homemade one, but I bought in Musaka, and it was damn marvellous, actually. So, there we go. It was little, by the way, if anyone's wondering. So, you know, other supermarkets are available, folks, but... Yeah, so a little Masaka for the win.
1: And mine, how about you? How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm a, I'm a little tired. I spent
3: quite a few hours in um, A&E last night with with my boy. Nice little Father's Day present. He's fine, by the way. He's just um, having some trouble breathing. He's been having a cold and flu bug, so sort they of gave him an inhaler. But yeah, um, I'm I'm doing okay over the night. had some, a nice melt-in-the-middle fish cake. It wasn't a homemade one, because I just didn't have time today. But yeah, it was lovely. Had some nice cheese sauce inside the fish cake and with some mash to go with it. But yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. How about you? Are, are you okay, Hosni?
1: Yeah, not too bad today. I have um, I crashed this afternoon. I'm quite tired. Uh, I've had quite a busy weekend um, working. And yeah, so I think we all today have had quick meals to try and make sure we can get on the pod for everyone. So I just had basically chicken and microwave rice. Um, the, Jack, the Jack Harrison special. I'm just trying to lose a little bit of weight for a competition I've got in a couple of weeks. Uh, but yeah, that's all good. So... Some news, there There has been some news, we, we went through it a little in the introduction there, so Nick Hammond has been appointed as interim football advisor, as, do we have any any thoughts on how that might go? Do we think he might get a role full-time or how do we think his uh, role is going to play out?
2: I've got no idea on the, the full-time role, I mean his, his previous role at Newcastle was an interim role, wasn't it, while well, they got um, the, the guy from Bournemouth whose name escapes me as the director of uh, football in, and... I know um, from, from from my Newcastle connections, I am a wife's a Newcastle fan, um, he did a pretty good job. You know, he brought in the likes of Chris Wood, didn't he, and Trippy, and those guys. So he's obviously pretty good at working in the domestic market. So perhaps we'll see a bit of domestic recruitment. That's that's kind of the thinking, isn't it, with this guy? And I'm fairly happy with him. Seems fairly sensible. Leads and sensible. Doesn't seem to go, but it seems it. So maybe it's that's a, a sign of things to come perhaps? Um, I don't really have too much to say
3: on it, other they, it, it does seem a smart idea to get someone with a bit more football knowledge to advise at a moment before we get in someone more permanent, because we couldn't really wait too much longer to have someone with um, a football background in the ball level, because we don't really want every, every decision to be made by Angus Kinnear, do we? So it would be best, It's good to have someone else in there as well, who hopefully will share some valuable insights and get us off the ground basically with the the transfer dealings and hopefully he'll bring in people who will suit whichever manager we do go for um, but I can't say really too much about him to say more than that really
1: Yeah, uh, I think I agree with what you both said regarding his appointment it just seems very sensible and that seems very weird as a Leeds fan um, Do we have anything else do we think that we need to discuss before we get into potential new managers that might be appointed this week?
2: Well, I guess there was the the news and and the fleeting moment this afternoon when I thought, oh, Irreola might be coming. And I got quite excited, but it didn't last because Bournemouth, the bleepers, got in there first. So uh, that was slightly sad, but you know, there we go. We move on.
3: Yeah, I'd have to put an F F in the chat for uh, Thomas Wilson because I'm sure he probably will have been the most excited out of all the people involved with this pod. And, yeah, he, he'll be quite sad. And I also was a little bit excited when I, when I saw that news. And then it, that excitement was quite quickly gone when Bournemouth just said, oh, we, we've appointed him now. Okay, well, I can stop being excited about that.
1: Yeah, and I guess it could be a conversation in itself of we look at Bournemouth and they kind of have gone, thank you for keeping us up. We're going to change managers still. And that's maybe what we should have done last, last summer with Jesse Marsh. If only. But anyway, let's... Uh, Let's get into it. So we're going to discuss the current frontrunners for the vacant managerial post at Leeds United. And we're going to start with Carlos Corbron. Now, I'm sure that a lot of you and the listeners know about Carlos Corbron, but I'll just give a brief overview of his career to date. So Corbron started his managerial career in Cyprus before joining Leeds under-23s in the same summer as Thomas Christensen joined as head coach. After three years at Leeds and with a PDL title to his name, Corbyn made the move down the M62 to take over fellow West Yorkshire side Huddersfield Town, where, after finishing just outside the relegation places in his first full season, he then surpassed all expectations, leading Huddersfield to a third-place finish and a playoff final, but that ultimately ended in defeat to Nottingham Forest. A brief and unsuccessful spell at Olympiacos was quickly followed by taking the hot seat at West Bromwich Albion in October 2022, where they were lying second bottom of the Championship and Corbyn's West Brom won 10 of the next 12 games, helping them to a 9th place finish, just missing out on the playoffs. So, Dan, I'm going to come to you first. How does Corbyn set up his teams, and what shape should we expect, or do we see them play?
2: So, he's, I've had a look at his West Brom team you know, for the most recent, and they're, they're a pretty solid 4-2-3-1 uh, kind of team, fairly classic shape, you know, Couple of big centre backs, full backs that are, do have some license to get forward. Fairly steady double pivot, one one ball winner, one more progressive passer. Um, in John Swift, they've got a pretty classic ten, I would say, and he does play like a classic ten. He doesn't drop into midfield too much, and he you know he does join the forward line. And then wingers that rotate in and out and play and swap sides, um, and, and a centre forward that kind of tries to run the channels and stretch the defence. So it's all kind of fairly solid standard stuff you've seen before, in that respect. Um, I couldn't get any footage of his Olympiacos team, but according to stats websites, he ran a 4-2-3 well on there for the six, seven, eight games, whatever he's in charge. Um, and then back in uh, Huddersfield, he was more of a wingback team. Um, I remember seeing this team that got to the playoff final and they were they were kind of a 3-5-2 um, or occasionally 3-4-3 three, three sort of team, which kind of suggests to me that, you know, he's quite flexible. He can coach teams with back threes, back fives, back fours, uh, and play different systems. But my feeling is that he's, he's, he's probably he's, he's landed on this four-two-three-one, particularly if he's got good attacking talent, which we think he probably will have at Leeds if he came to Leeds. So, my expectation is we'll see a four-two-three-one from Brand, um, at Leeds if he can.
1: And um, Martin, do you have any other opinions on that? Any other thoughts?
3: Um, I'll be honest. Um, I didn't get too much chance to watch much of Corbran I was focusing more on Daniel Farka. Um, but I did watch about half an hour of his game and um, what Dan said there does sort of line up with what, what I saw there. Um, I, I might be able to add a little more to, to what his out-of-possession approach is um, after Dan speaks on the next question. I, I saw a bit, a bit of stuff in there I, I could talk about, but other than that, there's not too much else I can say.
1: Yeah, and so nicely segueing into there. So, Dan, what, what does the out-of-possession approach look like? Is it, obviously Cobram worked under Bielsa, so he's... Does he take stuff from Bielsa or is he his own man?
2: Well, the, the story is that when he first took over Huddersfield, his first season, he did try and implement quite a Bielsa-style system, and it just didn't work. I just don't think he, you know, I don't know if he has the personality to pull it off or whatever it is, and, and I think he, obviously, at his time at Huddersfield, he adjusted in the second season and, and became renowned as, a, renowned as a bit of a more of a deep, low-block kind of coach with a good kind of counter-attacking style and uh, and and perhaps, you know, winning stuff with set pieces and, and and taking opportunities and sitting on a lead. That was his Huddersfield team. Um but looking at his West Brom team, I think we've seen a bit more variety in terms of out of um off the ball stuff. So I watched a game with some of the guys in the Discord last night, and this was a game against Coventry. Um and they were quite high pressing, they were really aggressive at Coventry. They really went after the Coventry back line in terms of the pressing. It wasn't man to man, it was quite zonal, and they were kind of zoning in on fullbacks or, you know, that kind of thing. But um, you know, really, really aggressive. Um but I also watched him, his team versus Sunderland and QPR and Borough. Um, and in those games, it was kind of more like, more like what I'd describe as uh, an aggressive mid-block. So they would let the keeper play it to the defenders and the defenders would carry it and play it into the midfield. And that would often be a trigger where they'd really swarm in the midfield and look to win the ball and then, you know, launch a counter-attack. They've got a bit of pace West Brom. So I guess there's a bit of logic in that in terms of a, a, like a counter-attacking style play off, off those those presses. Um, in terms of if the press is broken or if they're into, a, you know, in their half defending... Um, a lot of organisation you know they look really nicely organised like the, the you would see uh, midfielders filling in the back line you would see you know wingers coming and covering the wing uh, the full backs quite well seemed to be really well organised they just didn't they didn't get broken a great deal so just just a general feeling of like really this guy can really drill a defence he can drill a different type of press that really aggressive mid or high press or a, or, a, or a low block um, Different sort of shapes in pressing as well. Sometimes you see a four-four-two, and you'll see two guys pressing, or you'll see a four-three-three. And I mean, one game I saw, I think it was the Borough game. He had it was a four-two-three-one, and one of his wingers dropped into the midfield to be the part of the midfield three pressing block and, and Swift kind of pushed out to the wing to press for reasons I couldn't get my head around but it was just really interesting and it was quite effective so I mean the point I'm making is he's is, is really flexible with his pressing and defensive system and I think that's probably one of his real upsides because I mean essentially Leeds are a bad defensive team and we have been for about three years and I feel like we could probably do with or part of the, the benefit of someone like Corbran would be that Teach us to defend again, you know, and teach us to press effectively again, and, you know, and that might give us some upside pretty quick. It's it's the sort of stuff that a good pre season could fix, really, and, you know, you'd, you'd hope to start the season fairly solidly, fairly quickly with him. Um, so that was my general feeling about him as a out-possession out coach. So, yeah, that's his real strength for me.
1: Martin, you mentioned that you might have some more to add on to that. Uh,
3: so yeah. Is, is there anything a else? A lot of what Dan said there uh, rang true from the um, bit that I watched of West Brom. Um, the out-of-possession pressing approach was like a 4-4-2. Four, four um, you'd see one, um, mainly the attacking midfielder joining the striker and the wingers would drop back um, into the flat, flat midfield 4. And <clears throat> at times they were quite quite high-pressy and you'd see them sometimes almost counter-pressing. Uh, sometimes you would see quite a lot of bodies compacted. Um, but... What I did like was when it got deep into in deeper areas, that sort of sp- spread out a bit and it wasn't quite as narrow as what um, we're used to with Jesse Marsh for counter-pressing. I you know most Leeds fans will be mentally scared when it when you hear compacts counter-press. And, but I think there was a bit more nuance in, in the way Coburn set it up. And it was just effective. What I saw, the, the game I watched was, was against Norwich. So it was one of the other strong teams in the division. And they were causing the problems with... Their out of possession approach. Um, obviously, I picked on Norwich because I've been watching them a lot with um, watching Farker. So I saw I know quite a few of the players, and they're quite good. And they did quite well to nullify them. I didn't watch the full game, just the first forty-five minutes. But what I saw from it, I did like his out of possession approach. Yeah, it was good. But,
2: one one thing I noticed is the like, say, I, I saw them in a four-four-two pressing shape for the most part. But quite often, you would see someone like Jed Wallace who plays on one of the wings. And he, and he's quite an aggressive presser. So quite often he would be on the right of the four, for example, in midfield four, and he would really charge forward and make it a front three quite quickly. And they were just really sharp and really like, shuffling across and covering that gap. And it just seemed to flow really nicely from a three to a to a four. And it just felt very well coordinated, like they all knew the jobs, you know. So if Jedwali saw a gap, he'd go, and then they would shuffle across and cover. And it was just, I kind of liked it really. It just, you know, there wasn't any, there wasn't Jed Ballis charging off and no one realizing. It was like it was, it was coordinated. So. Take note, Jesse Marsh.
1: Yeah, take note. Do something else. Yeah. Um, So we've discussed how Corbin works out of possession. So what what does he look like in build-up? What do his teams look like they try to do in deeper and progress the ball through the thirds?
2: So, so... Generally plays a back four, back four kind of spread fairly wide but not excessively wide. Keeper gets involved, and I noticed them actually kind of trying kind to of bait the opposition on. So the keeper would stop on the ball a bit like Brighton do, really. I mean, not quite as exaggerated as that, but the, the keeper was quite happy to to wait for something to come and then play it to a centre back. The, the double pivot would sit quite deep. So if you remember at Leeds and to be Calvin would sit quite close to the back, you know, the centre backs. Well, they would have two guys doing that um, here with Corbran, and what what you'd see is you'd often see a ball through to the one of the one of the pivot the double pivot players. They'd play it back to the centre back, and then they'd ping it out wide. And then when the ball got to the full backs, it got really direct, really quickly. So they'd play up the line, lots of channel ball, lots of balls for like Wallace to run onto, or or De'Anne Garner to run onto, or whoever it is, or, or even DK the, the forward. So they would try and almost like bait the opposition out into the into a press, and then play it down the flanks. Oh, they on quite quickly. So it's not particularly complicated, but fairly effective. They were pretty good at getting into dangerous areas fairly often. So I guess he's just looking at you know he's got like he's, essentially he's got Jed Wallace, he's got Dean Garner, he's got Swift. He had the um, the guy from Leicester, the wing. I forget his name. Albrighton from Leicester. Albrighton. Anyway, um, the, the guy from Leicester, the wing, and, and and these are all good channel runners. So he's just obviously trying to bait the opposition out and draw them out, and then hit the channels basically with space. So you know it's. It's it's not deserved bright Brighton. It's not really fun, sexy football, but fairly effective. Um, you know, and I think we'd have the players that could probably handle that. So, yeah, that's how he does it. Martin, have you? I mean, did you see anything different, really? Uh, no, not really.
3: Um, I think Norwich ha- had more of the ball um, at times in the first half of that game that I watched. So, I didn't really see too much different to what what you said there. Um, maybe I'd see more if I, saw, if I if I had watched more, but. Mm. Well, sorry, just add up to what you were saying there. Yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, they were fairly happy to switch it. You know, if there was a big switch onto the to the the opposite winger, they'd do that as well. That was the, you know that that was on as well. The 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 winger stayed fairly wide, so there was always that out ball. You know,
1: and so once they've got to the final thirds. How are they attacking the box?
2: It's a lot of channel balls, so it's a lot of quite wide or a real favourite ball was kind of like the I forget what the zones are now, but it's just at the edge of the penalty box on the right hand side or the left hand side for the winger and on and crossing from that kind of that kind of zone. Maybe can someone can remind me of the zone. And and you know, balls across the box and crosses from there. So it's really it's you know, it's it's a lot of width from crossing. Now they've got Daryl DK and they've got Jed Wallace and they've got D'Angana, so they've got great wing play and they've got a big powerful forward when he's fit. So that kind of makes sense, and I've said previously that Carbran is fairly he seems to be a fairly adaptive manager. So I wonder if he, you know, if, if he could play a different way with different players. But that's absolutely how West Brom played. I know in terms of attacking play at Huddersfield, it was all about set of pieces, wasn't it? So it does does suggest to me, and I don't know what happened at Olympiacos, I couldn't get footage of them, but it does suggest to me he's quite an adaptive coach, but not a particularly massively inventive one. I think it'll be, it'll, you know, it'll be kind of. It, it's kind of getting the ball into dangerous areas and, and relying on his good players to do the work for him. I mean, I'd hate to see West Brom without Jed Wallace. I keep mentioning Jed Wallace, but he's, he's damn good at that level. So that's my big worry with Corbyn, in that it's, it's fine, it's functional, but it's not massively inventive or fun in that respect.
1: Martin, anything else that you've seen from a Corbyn team?
3: No, no, I can't really add anything else to what what Dan said there. Um, I did notice that they could, could be quite direct in, in attacking the box in, in the game that, that I saw, um, but that could just be a product of Norwich being quite adventurous themselves. So they may have left, left more space, so I couldn't really say about a team where he, where they're sitting in a bit more. Did you did watch them much against teams who sit in, Dan?
2: Yeah, so, well, this is this is the reason I picked QPR to watch. And as an aside, I got really distracted by Elias Chair. We should talk about him later on another podcast. But anyway, for QPR. But I thought QPR would be quite direct since Gareth Rains was taking over. But QPR, they were quite direct, but it just became a mad transition game. And QPR were in the game the whole time. And then I watched with some of the guys in the Discord. We watched a bit of um, them against... Coventry last night and the the logic of that one was that Coventry you know they're quite a defensive team away from home look to play counter-attacking football themselves and are pretty good they got to the playoffs so but West Brom really really went after Coventry they really pressed them high and I presume for reasons for tactical reasons they spotted something and really went after Coventry and it was that day, John Swift was missing, and, and and Jed Wallace played 10, so they had two wingers on Wallace. So it was actually quite... That was probably the most fun performance I'd seen from them, really, because the wingers and the 10 were just all rotating the whole time. So that was quite fun. So you would see Wallace popping up on the left, right, you would Dingana coming through the middle, you know, and it was just... That was quite a fun performance, and it was like a really... It was a really nice, fun, kind of counter-pressing performance with, you know, all-action counter-pressing. So, like I say, I guess that there is, there is scope for players popping up and you know number 10's going out on the wing and wingers coming in field and doing number 10 things so there's a bit of that in his setup so yeah
1: yeah i'll go i'll go on record as saying um we discussed pre-recording i'm quite not on the Corbyn train um let's put it that way and that does come mainly from his time at huddersfield i i think he over like we said he he the team performed really well from set pieces which means that you are overperforming on your xg quite a bit which means you're not really creating much from open play and that that's where a lot of my opinion is formulated from i haven't seen enough of his west brom side but dan you are talking me round. um i won't i won't lie
2: it's yeah i mean it's that's, that's not pretend it's not you know it's not be ball of, of the first season at leeds it's not it's not even Fark of eighteen nineteen fun but it's, it's pretty it's, it's kind of effective and i think there'll be games when we get on top and you know we'll run over teams if if we if we have Corbran. but there'll be teams there'll be games where teams get an effective low block and we're really frustrated with just spamming crosses in. You know it's it's going to be one of those I think and and, and you know expect oh expect to scrape a lot of low low scoring wins um, if Corburn takes over. It'll be my view.
1: Yeah, so like I said, you're winning. It's pulling me around. I'm, I can get on board with effective. So in our current squad, who do you think Corburn will like?
2: I I think Corburn. I think he'll he'll work with what he's got what he's given. Like I said, I think he's seen, he's got a different squad to West Brom, where I just feel very different squad. And he's, and he's, and he's got a tune out of them both, which tells me the guy's a coach is adaptable, obviously. So, you know, we're going to give him probably good wide attackers at Leeds, aren't we? You would think, you know, I mean, we'll sell some, but whatever's left is a good level wide attack of the championship. You know, so I think he will, he will get a tune out of those guys because that's what he's got. I think um he will quite possibly, quite possibly want better set piece delivery. So, because, he definitely employed that Huddersfield. And to be fair, I saw some fairly good set pieces from this West Brom team. Not to the same extent as Huddersfield, but we don't really have a great deal of that. So I wonder if that's something we need, but I, I think he'll just be, he'll play the wingers and he'll use the wingers. If, at least that's what he'll do. we will play to our, to our upside.
1: If we have any wingers left.
2: <laughs> we bounce uh, it's, it's off some, It's going to be... Yeah.
1: So obviously Colburn, you've mentioned, is quite flexible, but do either of you think that there's going to be profiles that are missing for Corbyn for a Corbyn squad?
2: I don't think... I mean, there are profiles missing from the lead squad, and I don't think that's a Corbyn specific thing. I think it'll be true for him. It'll be true for for any manager we get. You know, we don't have a reliable left-back. If the sales go like we think they're going to go, we're going to need a right centre-back, unless he really trusts um, Cresswell. So I think it's it's more about filling squad gaps and then just telling those squad gaps to suit him. So... In terms of centre mid, presuming the players go, we'll need a ball winner, won't we? He's always had a, a strong ball winner. Um, both both Huddersfield and West Brom, he's had a, kind of a fairly fairly traditional ball winner and a fairly traditional kind of ball progressor next to that ball winner. So we're going to need those players, but I think we needed those players anyway um, for the squad. So I don't think it's Corbrand specific massively. It's just that if someone can find him a really good set piece player in recruitment, I think he'll obviously jump at that. that that'll be the only thing that's Corbrand specific. I think.
1: Any differing views for that, Martin?
3: No, I think that's pretty spot on what Dan said there. Um, what the players which Carbran uses for a four-two-three-one, they are pretty much profiles that you usually expect from a four-two-three-one. You've got the uh, attacking midfield creator, we'd, we'd need that anyway, and you've got the ball winner and the more progressive deeper midfielder. So yeah, those super definite. And I would also also echo if it, if he does like set pieces, that we could do with some advancement in that because our best set piece. Players is Greenwood, and I'd rather not use him. Um, and Jack Harrison, who looks likely likely to go, and even Jack Harrison has his games where he can't hit and get past the first man four times in a row. <laughs> I love the guy, but yeah, he's not the best set piece taker.
1: Yeah, and then and then your next ones, your next ones, Mark Rocker who yeah. is also leaving, probably exactly. Sir. So
3: you could do with someone who is a set piece, not specialist, but maybe someone who is capable of taking a, a free kick in the corner. That would be helpful. But yeah, nothing unfair to add them on
2: down side Yeah, one thing we might see is maybe less centre-back recruitment because you remember when he was at Leeds, he probably coached Stroik and Cresswell. I think he probably coached those guys when he was 21's manager. He probably, you know, he knows them, he's got a relationship and I think he's, he's pretty good at setting defences up and getting more out of defenders. He might back himself to make a defence of, you know, the guys that are left there at the club. So, there's, the, you know, even if the squad needs a right centre-back, you might still see Cresswell get more game time under Corbran than maybe somebody else coming in. So that's the only thing. We might see a little bit less churn at centre-back, perhaps, if he comes in. But that's just a hunch from me, really. No, you know.
3: I had a sort of something as well that um, there will be some players that he does know because I think he was quite involved with the first team when he was up with Bielsa as well. So he probably will maybe want to use Ailing more than what another manager might want to. Cooper, uh, just because they're players that he knows and he might be able to trust them a bit more, so that we could see that they're having their final year where they do get more game time under Corbran. But I'm just guessing that um, it, it all depends on how he sees they've changed since when he was coach, was helping to coach them. So, yeah, I think that's some, one of the potential. I think.
1: Yeah, all good. I agree with that. And um, I was just trying to work out in my head when it was when Corbran left, and it was before. It was as we got promoted. So yeah. once we were promoted, that's when he left. So those players that are still there from the promotion season are the players that will have the relationship with. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big
0: Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you.
1: We'll move on to our next manager, and as Martin has already mentioned, who he was watching, that is Daniel Farker, a name that I'm sure is familiar with most Leeds fans. But if you don't know who he is, then here are his headlines. So, Farker started out at Sval Lippstadt in 2009, a sixth-tier German side who he guided to two promotions in six years before leaving to take over Dortmund's FI, who are Borussia Dortmund's reserve side. After two seasons there, he failed to agree a new contract, and at the end of the 16-17 season, he was announced as the new head coach of Norwich City. A first-season mid-table finish was followed by earning promotion to the Premier League, with Norwich claiming the championship title on the final day of the season. But immediate relegation followed, with Norwich finishing bottom. However, they came straight back up, with a club record 97 points, and again securing the championship title. The Premier League, though, was once again not kind to Farker, The new Premier League season started how the last ended, Norwich losing 15 consecutive games and despite ending it with a win against Brentford, Farker was sacked mid-November 2021. Prior to the start of last season, Farker was appointed the head coach of Borussia Gladbach, where he led them to a mid-table finish but it was still sacked at the start of June this year, approximately a year after signing a three-year contract. So, Martin, over to you this time. Same first question. How does he set up his teams, and what shape do they play?
3: Well, he's mainly a 4-2-3-1 man. Um, that's the majority of what I've seen. And for Norwich for under, both seasons, and also at, at Gladbach, he mainly sticks to a four-two-three-one. He did experiment sometimes with a 4 and also a back-free shape for a few games towards the end of the, this season with Gladbach. But I think we'll expect to see a four-two-three-one. 2 one He seemed pretty set on that. Um, however, in possession, his team often looks more like a 4-3-3 or even a 4-1-2-1-1, <laughs> however, you, however you want to judge that. it's It can be quite narrow at times, um, the, but if you go for the, the positions on the pitch, you've got the goalkeeper who's generally using build-up but not to the extreme. It will hit balls long when under pressure. Uh, full-backs, usually one stays forward and one stays back and one side will offer width, and the other will invert, with the winger on the same side holding width. Um, in midfield, central midfielders, one player usually stays deeper and acts as a pivot for other players to pass to, when he's generally a very progressive midfielder, and the other will get further forward and link up with the attack, and is used as more of a box-to-box player. So that's what I mean by I said that it looks more like a 4-3-3, because you have the one of them hits it, sitting deeper, the other one getting further forward, and then when it comes to the the wingers, the right midfielder, at Norwich when I was em Buendia, who I think most championship fans will be quite aware of, is a fantastic player and he would off, come deep quite often. He you, he very rarely saw him in, in wide areas to be honest. He was usually operating in a half space area and he would drop it a lot deeper as well, help helping up and build up which would give the other part of that four three free, free midfield which I mentioned there. So he he was he kinda of played a similar role to Pablo Hernandez, if I'm honest. Um so if that's a name people know. <laughs> so if you think of Pablo Hernandez, that is what his right midfielder used to operate like. Um, and then left midfielder was more used to hold width with the fullback on that side, invert into attack the box. And then they would do just typical winger stuff, try to beat the man and get into the box and try to pass, but it didn't really cross very much. They were, they were not a very cross-heavy team. They generally focused more on passing to enter the box. And the attacking midfielder it's not really a traditional type of attacking midfielder. Um, It's probably more like a, an attacking box-to-box player, if you think more like what Matthias Click used to do for us on the Bielsa. That's kind of more what you want from his attacking midfielder. While they're not generally very creative themselves, they generally do you rack up at least a fair few amount of key passes and other shot-creating actions due to the position of the pitch that they occupy and how much... Farkas teams generally do dominate possession so yeah that's another profile which is a bit different to the standard and then the striker he had Pookie at Norwich and Turam at Gladbach and they were used a lot to carry the ball further at the pitch they'd often sit on the last line and also make it runs beyond um, but they would also drift and make runs to the side of the box and carry the ball into wide areas before moving the ball on and trying to occupy the box themselves and when they weren't doing this they'd also drop deep so they're quite a varied striker and uh, it helped a lot Not want to say a lot maybe there's other teams that used to track more in build up but they did drop drop deeper to help in build up yeah so that's what the score looked like shape wise and each player
1: Dan did you see well, anything no, it was more of a question or? for Martin
2: really yeah I, I mean I remember the, the Norwich team of eighteen nineteen, so Bielsa's first year the year they pipped us to the title. Well, we came third, didn't we? But that team, and you know, I remember that team really clearly with Hernandez and, and Buendir as the kind of wingers, and Aaron's bombing down the right and all that kind of stuff. Was there a big change in, in in the style of play down the line? Like the second time they got promoted, did you notice, Mine? I'll be honest, I didn't watch. Was it was pretty much the same formula. I didn't watch yeah. too much
3: of that season. I watched a few games in Discord and watched that, but most of the time I was watching was the eighteen nineteen season, and um, that was the one I focused on on my, my watching. I wanted to take that as like a standard because you just that was really his pro- proper first full season with, with, with Norwich. and that um did uh, Hoster did you say that he came in at the start of the um, 17
1: 18 yeah he, ca- he came in so yeah he was appointed on the 25th of May 2017 so literally like uh, probably a week after the end of the yeah. season
3: of that yeah, so I might
1: wanted to have one where he hadn't been with
3: the team quite as long so it, it maybe his, his approach may, may, might not look as refined. And that kind of did show through them there was a fair bit of change as the season went on, um, and I'll get into more what sort of those changes were when we get to the next phases of what these questions are, basically I want to spoil them in advance.
1: Yeah, so let's move on to the next one. So what does a Farker team look like out of possession?
3: So they're not really a strict high press, uh, more of an aggressive mid-block, um, but there will be moments against a certain opposition where he does want to press a bit higher and especially around goal, kick, goal kicks, he does like to get a few players around the box just to stop people, stop teams from building up at ease. He used a four-two-three-one 2 one out of possession structure at Norwich, and at Gladbach, he was actually more of a four-four-two 2 out of possession structure, so there's some variance there. I'm wondering if that's how he's doing it now, or if maybe he just did that just with Gladbach, or maybe because it's a Bundesliga rather than the English Championship, so it's a bit different stylistically. And this part of his game, which I think, probably needs uh, more work. Um, the, his Norwich team were quite open at times defensively and they did concede a, f- a fair few goals in that year and they actually, the, their op- the opposition team did, I think, overperform their XG quite a bit so I'm not sure if that's due to the nature of the chances that they given away were mean that they're easy to convert, similar sort of things to what we saw with under Bielsa. Um, with the, the, our team, the other teams did outperform did their SG against us as well. We weren't giving away many chances, but the chances that we were given away were pretty open, so it made them a bit easier than normal to convert. Um, but at Norwich, he didn't really have a budget to spend on players. They spent what about $5 million, I think, in total that season, so that's a very low spend, and he did very well with the stuff that he has at his possession, I think. So maybe it could change how effective his out of possession play is if he does have a better standard of player to operate it, that it could improve.
1: And so you mentioned in the first question that uh, the goalkeeper would maybe be used a bit in build-up. So what, what is the approach that he's gone for, mainly in build-up in deeper areas and to progress There's the quite a heavy em- emphasis on
3: short build-up play. His early build-up play evolves quite a bit at Norwich. At the start of the season, um, they didn't always look to keep possession at all times, and if they were pressed, they would hit it long, especially with um, the goalkeeper Tim Krull. Um, I thought I think maybe he wasn't very comfortable in possession at first, and they, he did hit it long quite a lot, but that sort of did change as the season went on, and they did they look a lot more confident in playing out from the back, even when they are under a high press, which was always good to see. And also, the build the build up structure that he used changed between Gladbach and Norwich. At Norwich he was using like a two free build up with the right midfielder dropping alongside the two CM, like I mentioned before, um which changed to more of a free free build up at Gladbach. So he adds more players around the build build up zone. I think that's maybe because the strength of Gladbach seemed maybe not as Strongly, strong least he felt as his not Norwich team because that Norwich team were very dominant in that in the championship in those years that he was in. So maybe he wanted a bit more structure to help build up safely uh, it at Gladbach and that showed through with the stats that he had for that season. And um, they had second highest short pass completion running ninety point two percent, so very high. Only outdone by by Munich with ninety point seven. Forty one per cent of the passes were played short, which was the third highest behind Munich and Leverkusen and only 12% of the passes were played long, which is the third lowest in the league. So you can say that he's very much possession oriented and wants to keep hold of the ball in deeper areas, so very much emphasis on shorter passing. However, they will sometimes vary that up. If a team is playing a high line and they see a pass on further up the field, they will go for it. They won't focus entirely on possession at the risk of spoiling a good opportunity to get forward, basically. So that, there's a, that little mix-up there, which I liked when I was watching. Especially Pookie was fantastic at making those runs beyond beyond the last man. So, yeah, there's some variance from a typical possession orientated scene, but it is a lot more possession orientated than what we've been used to in the past eighteen months under Jesse Marsh as well.
2: Yeah, I mean just to, just to bring it back to Colbert and kind of can I compare um, the two? I watched a little bit of Flag, but not tons, not as much as you might. And I would say it's certainly more fluid and more fun. <laughs> than than, than Corbrand's build-up. I mean, Corbrand's build-up scheme felt very functional but reasonably effective. You know, just it was kind of into the centre backs, out, up to the midfield, back out again, out to the wingers and down the channel kind of thing to join people in and then playing it out. Whereas the, the few bits I've seen in Fark seem you know seem a lot. They take more risks on the ball, don't they? And they try and draw people in more. You know, the the midfield will rotate more, like you say. It's listed as a four two three one, but you'll get the eight dropping in deep. Um, and the other, and the number ten dropping on the other side to be eight. Then you'll see lopsided fullbacks. You'll see, um, and Aaron's really high, almost like a winger on one side, and you know midfielders coming across. So it just felt like a lot more kind of flexible and a lot more, a lot more inventive in terms of that. So I think we might have more fun watching Farker ball in that respect, and certainly more fun watching Far build up ball. Um, I think we might you know, might give the ball away and, and, and can, concede some counter-attacks that Corbran will guard against more than Fark. That's Obviously, that's the that's the trade-off, isn't it, in that respect? Yeah,
3: that's exactly the trade-off. It um, there, there is a more high-risk style, which Farker looks to get involved, but generally a bit more fun. And if people want a manager who is more like Bielsa, it's, I don't think it's probably going to be Corbran. I think it's more likely to be Farker will... Play not. You know, he's not going to play Bielsa ball. No one plays Bielsa ball but Bielsa. But there will be a lot more different similarities between how Bielsa likes to operate and how Farka looks to operate. And
2: I think in set in settle possession for sure. That's where the similarities, isn't it? One, yeah, in set possession and building up from the keeper centre back to now. That's the similarity. Yeah, yeah exactly.
3: And the, also the way the way he presses the ball. There's a lot of um, emphasis on wide build up um, under under Farka. They just like to get some combinations going. You quite often see triangles of players in, in wide areas. You see the central midfielder coming wide to help out, similar to where the way that Matthias Click used to do with great effect. And so you'll sometimes even see up to five players moving towards one wing. That was one quite extreme example I saw early in the season at Norwich, which wasn't often seen, but it did happen. So they, they just like to build up with a lot of players around the wide areas and then move gradually in, into the middle and yeah, I just I, I enjoyed watching them basically it looked a lot more fun than what we've been used to
1: Yeah, I echo the, um, the fact that Farker's ball might be a bit more entertaining than uh, Coburn ball, I seem to remember from <clears throat> the eighteen nineteen season was it annoyed me how good Norwich were because obviously we were good and they were the team that were better than us in that sense so yeah So what have you seen with regards to, you mentioned it earlier, they don't put in too many crosses, but how do they exactly like to attack the opposition box? So
3: so like I said previously, they don't always look to build up short. If they do spot passes beyond, they will look to go direct when they can. And that's one thing which is quite good. They can be quite very effective at attacking in transition as well. Um, They're very fluid in the way they attack in in counter-attacking moments. Um, But when the opposition... Doesn't give them this out ball. They will build up in wide areas before attacking the box quite centrally. Sometimes it can be quite central. Um, So you'll sometimes see three to five players, like I said, building up, but then the other two, three players will attack the box and they'll all sort of merge together. To I think there's a lot of intricate little passes hit to each other, one twos around the box and trying to create overloads in wide areas, which is was very helpful, especially on the left, I like Arnold Hernandez. I know a lot of went on to Emmy Buendia as to how good he was in, in, in that season, but Arnold Hernandez was also very, very, very fun, and he he was very effective in what he did to, to attack the box and try to lay off passes to the uh, on-rushing players. You see the, the attacking midfielder or the deeper eight. Not the, not the not the deepest day. There's one that's deeper than the one slightly ahead of them. The more ball progressor he would attack the box late, and yeah, there was quite a lot of good stuff there which I saw around attacking the box. I wouldn't be too worried about them creating chances or something, which Farkas' team seems to do quite well.
2: Any advancements on that, Dan? Well, on the bits that I watched, I noticed the wingers didn't necessarily hold the width for great deal. They were quite a narrow front, you know quite a narrow free behind the striker, should we say? Um, a lot of the width. Or they were, they were maybe be lopsided. So Wendera, as Martins already said, he was the right winger, but it wasn't really, was he? he was like a it was like a slightly wide ten, um, <laughs> effectively. And and Aaron's would be the right winger almost. Um, and Hannan would perhaps hold width for a little bit more on the left. It was just kind of very fun. It's not just uniform right wingers hugging touchline number 10 pulling the strings you know and trying to trying to ping balls into a big center forward it was it was kind of you know puky would drop out and andes would charge in the box or steeper was would run in the box and also become the center forward whoever it is you know so it just it was just a lot of the the attack the attacking four if you like and or five if you count aarons was really kind of kind of fun and and lots of variation and, and, and it kind of felt almost um i don't want to say balletic, but it can you know it, it flowed lovely you know had a really nice flow to it and if, if moves broke down, they very quickly got picked up again and, and went again. So, yeah, I'm kind of, I think I really enjoy Farkball, that, that's for sure. I think it could be really enjoyable. I think he would probably get a tune out of, you know, whatever attackers we give him, you know, would get a good a tune out of those players and he would adapt his system probably some to some extent um, fairly well.
3: Yeah, i I echo what you're saying there, Dan. And I think there's a lot of different ways that he can attack the box. It's not like just one particular way. Although I said that he doesn't like to cross the ball a bit. And I think there were still crosses going in, just not as many as some other teams who are more cross-heavy. Uh, so it's more like a standard amount of crossing rather than limited or very strong crosses. And it was much more focused on passing into the box and a lot of movement in the attacking players to try to get around the defence rather than just trying to, like you say, cross up to a, to a big guy because that wasn't what Pookie mm-hmm. was. Um, he, he, he wasn't a player who you'd look to win aerial balls, fantastic at his link-up play and he could hold up the ball well, even though he couldn't win aerials very well, he was still good at that, and yeah, it was. I really enjoyed watching it, it's not something that I watched really much when we were playing against him in the Championship, other than the game where they beat us, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's another thing that he's got on his record, is that he has beaten Bielsa, which is something that most fans should appreciate and respect.
2: Yeah, I mean, one I, I, the bits I've seen, Pooky was good, wasn't he? I think we underappreciated how good Pooky was. Really good forward, like a real good pickup. Someone who was like almost thirty and just to have that kind of Indian summer for his career there and you know for not a lot of money. I think yeah. they picked
1: him up on a free as well. Yeah,
2: and he came in at what twenty nine year old, and yeah. they got like four years out of him or something or something like yeah. that. You know, I can't remember exactly, but yeah, a real good, real good player, really underrated player, I think.
1: Yeah, that that was a uh, yeah that was a really smart pickup from them because he'd not set the world alight at Celtic, obviously, and then. I think he'd gone back to Scandinavia, maybe, and then obviously a really good pickup. But on discussing a squad profile, who do we think Farker will like in our current squad?
3: There's a few names who I think who, who we could like, who maybe stay in, some who maybe go in, who we would also like. First one on my list is, is um, Jorginho Rutta. Uh, I think he has potential to be used as a striker in Farker's system, and I think Farker could really like him but he will need some work to get into what, what Fark would want from him, especially timing his run beyond the last line and also his link-up play. Sometimes his first touch can be on the sloppy side, and that was something which Pookie was really good at. He was good at taking that ball and then have a pass it deeper or turning and moving the ball. But that's the thing which Rutherford will excel with, and I think Farker would like, is his ball carrying. Um, he can be a big weapon in this system to open space for others. Like I said, they don't look to attack with crosses and but they do look to attack it with people dribbling into it. And that's something which I think Rutter would be able to do very well. And that's something which I know not many people would associate Team of with ball carrying. But his stats for Norwich and years were some of the most in their in their team. Not the most in the league, but he was still used a lot for carrying the ball. Not necessarily dribbling past players, but more carrying the ball into space. Is that's what what he excelled in. And Rutter has that about his game in bundles, and um, but he can also get past a man as well. So that's something that he has a leg up on over Pookie. He will obviously have the finishing ability that Pookie has. Pookie was amazing with his finishing. I think at times he rescued Norwich because he quite drastically overperformed his XG in I think both of the seasons that they went up from the Championship. So I think that really did help out Farker that he had someone who was capable of finishing a lot of chances. So. There's things which Rutter has to work on, but I think if he puts enough time in with him in, in pre-season, coaching the right things for him, I think he could really be a good weapon for that. Another player who I think he'll like, but to be honest, most managers will like this guy, and that's Nonto. And I think he could provide the same sort of threat that Orlando Hernandez provided on left wing, holding weight from attacking the box, by dribbling past players, by laying off past or attacking the goal himself. That's, he's great at all the traditional winger stuff, and he's also very secure in possession. Considering how much Faka likes to keep hold of the ball, to have a few wingers who are comfortable to keep hold of the ball, that would be great. So, to, be, and to be fair, a lot of the same that's said there about Montauk can also be said of Somerville. I think we said on the last episode that those two maybe will keep one and sell the other, or vice versa. And I think either of those players feel like. Another one who looks likely to go is Tyler Adams but I think there is a position in, in this squad for him, the less progressive player in the middle of the park, someone who will sit, sit deeper and link the team together, occasionally dropping into the full-back areas to help in possession when needed. Um, that's the sort of things I think he has about his game. Um, but at the same time, I think we could quite easily replace that profile if Adams does go with another player who would be able to provide that. So it wouldn't be someone who I think he would say, we've got to keep him, if I come. But who knows? And then the final one is Rasmus Christensen. I think there is potential for him to actually play a good part in this system because the right-back likes to get forward quite a lot. And Max Aaron especially did that a lot for them, just holding weight from the right-hand side, looking to get forward with his athleticism. And that's something which Christensen does have. Maybe not to the same level in the Premier League, but I think in the Championship his athleticism will be an asset and it will be very helpful for him. We would have to keep him away from deeper build-up, of course, because <laughs> we you know he's got flaws when it comes to keeping hold of the ball in deeper areas, and he's not the most secure in possession. But he does the same sort of thing internationally for Denmark. He plays with a wing back there, gets foot forward quite a lot, and that's what I think he could do with us. Keep him high up the pitch. Don't need to worry about build-up with him. Just keep him up there, and he'd be a good out-ball and good for cross- putting balls into the box and... He also put chips in every now and game with goals, as we saw towards the end of this season. So that's also something which could be an added thing. I don't think many people would have be been listening to this expecting us to say Rasmus could maybe play a part, but I'm saying that it's possible. But at the same time, Alien could also do a lot of the things which he said there, albeit with less athleticism, but with more upside and build-up. But yeah, that's all the main things I think that he'll like in our in our squad.
1: Any other players, Daniel?
2: Um, I'm largely just nodding along, agreeing with Martin there. Um, I mean, I was I would have said. The, and the small chance that we keep, or the hope that we keep Dramey, I think Dramey really could do the um, Max Aarons role really well because he's shown essentially playing a wing-back for, for for Luton. But the, the right-sided role of the Arons, that Aarons had was essentially a wing-back, wasn't it, really, for Norwich, even though he had to get back to a back four in defensive um, in defensive phases. But So if Dramey could be convinced to stay, I think he would absolutely fly in the Aarons role. Um, I'd like to echo what Martin was saying about Ruter being the closest to Puki that we've got um and this is something I forgot to mention in the Corbrand section I would absolutely happily see Ruter play the nine for Fark for Corbrand. no not at all um for Corbrand, Ruta's a winger I think or a wide forward I mean maybe even a 10 but yeah he's, he's not a forward I think Corbrand wants a big powerful guy to run the channels where Fark doesn't necessarily need that um so that's that's true and yeah the the the, the Hernandez and Nantes comparison is a really good one I think Absolutely, completely I concur with that. I really, really, really agree. So, and the only other thing is, is he likes a big stopper, doesn't he? He's had Grant Hanley the whole time at Norwich, who's kind of fairly traditional stopper. So it makes you think, Wobber, Cooper, those guys will get game time, and he'll be fine with you know one stopper, one footballer in, at the back. Um, I think he's probably his best team had um, Godfrey as the centre back, who's quite athletic, quite quick. Um, so I wonder if he maybe looks for a Godfrey analog which we don't really have in the squad, so I wonder if we'll go out and try and buy a... say that I've jumped across to the next squad. Next question there, but I may as well flow into I wonder if we'll look for a quick centre-back to to, to to match up with Wobo, you know, but I think we'll probably say that about most managers. Anyway. Yeah, Sorry.
1: so you, like you said, you've, you've touched on it there. <laughs> um, so Dan, Dan thinks that we're missing a quick centre-back for the Farga squad. Is there any profiles that you think are different that we're missing, or do you concur there, Matt? I'd, I'd
3: agree with what I said there about these. As a centre-back, we do... Probably needs someone who is a bit pacier, something we've lacked in defence for a while. Probably the fastest one we've got is Robin Cork, and he's probably going. And also, he didn't really have the greatest amount of pace anyway. He was just the one with the most out of the bad lot that we had for pace. Um, so yeah, that is definitely one which we need. And But there's also quite a few other profiles which we are missing. But that is because we're just generally missing a lot of profiles in general in the squad because of how many are going or just how Fred Bear the squad is at the moment. Um, especially for attacking midfield, I think we're lacking a box-to-box attacking profile. Um, some could say Aronson, but I think he may end up going. But if he doesn't, if he does he possibly could provide this because um, you want in a player who doesn't necessarily have a, a fantastic range of passing but they do need to be a capable presser. That's another thing which is in Aronson's wheelhouse. Um, you ideally want someone with a good level of technique and press resistance, and that's maybe not something which Aronson has in bundles. Maybe technique-wise, he's not too too sloppy when it comes to technique, um, and also someone who can carry the ball. Yeah, that's also something which maybe Aronson has got as well. But I just feel you need someone who's a bit more robust than Aronson in, in this sort of thing. You need someone who has got really good press resistance who can... Shrug, shrug players off, and that's what they did have with Marco Steepman, and that's who they play, they use for, uh, the player they used for the 18-19 season robot a lot in attacking midfield. And he's more of a box-to-box profile than a true creator that you normally expect from the attacking midfield. And then in the deeper areas, we would need both. If Tyler Adams goes, we'd need someone who profiles like a, a traditional six, someone with press distance, and... Um, secure in possession but maybe not being outstanding at long range passing. Someone who's very good at short passing but needs to be a workhorse who will cover a lot of ground. That's something which we'll need if Tal Adams does go. That's, that's, but I do think that we could probably get better than Adams um, at what Farker would want. Someone more secure in possession than what Adams is, ideally. And the other one is the one partnering, the more progressive of the two deep, deep midfielders. It's a big part of his progression, and this side player needs to be capable of progressing the ball. Ideally, with both passing and ball-carrying, but if you don't have both, then one or the other is also acceptable. Once again, press resistance is, is pretty key, especially against teams who will be pressing as high, and it's also ideal if this player could crash the box as well, because that's another thing which the player likes to do. So there's quite a lot of things that you, you front to nail on. Obviously, we won't get all of these because we're in the championship. You don't find players who have tick all those boxes when you're in the championship. But if you can tick a fair number of those boxes, that could be good. And also a left-back, which is something we need anyway. But there needs to be quite an attacking profile. They don't need to be fantastic defensively, but also there shouldn't be a liability. Because um, they will need to get back with speed at times. So maybe, maybe more of an attacking profile with pace rather than one who's if, if if they aren't good defensively they need to at least have pace so they can get back quick enough. And these technically sounds capable of in- inverting the left back does invert a lot in that and so I think that's something which we would need. Possibly Junior Firpo could have provided this but he's probably going to be going and he is not fast so <laughs> he wouldn't be ideal for that and he's also has shown himself quite a liability defensively, so that's also I mean knocked off for him. And Get him sold. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with that. And
1: <laughs> I really wish I managed to get a screen grab of Dan's face then when you mentioned Junior Furpo's name.
3: <laughs> there is some things which Furpo has about his game which I think would work in the a, in a far side, but there's also some things which just wouldn't. Um, He he inversed very well. That's the main thing which I say that I like about him and how he could work in the far side, but there's so many downsides to him that it's just not worth it. And lastly, as with all Farkas players, this player needs to have a good first touch. So, someone who is secure in possession, because Farkas likes to keep all the possession, so he doesn't really like to have many players who are a liability when it comes to taking heavy touches. And yeah, I think that's about all. Um, Possibly if we do need to recruit more wingers, depending on how many go. Um, and Emi Buendia would be nice. <laughs> 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 um, he was picked up for only one and a half million from Argentina, I think. I'm not sure. It, well. uh,
1: I think it was Leonese. Oh, was it? Okay.
3: Yeah. I'm not sure where it was, but yeah, he was picked up very cheaply. Um, so if we can d- pull up some magic there and bring in an, uh, a new Pablo Hernandez to occupy the right midfield role, that would be ideal because that player was so crucial to what Farca did. It's possible that he does use more of a, a different role to be his creator and hub to the team, because that's what Buendia was. He was just a total hub for everything which what he wanted to do. He scored goals, he assisted, he progressed the ball. He had such a really good long pass on him, so you basically need someone who's fantastic. Someone who is capable of a lot of things, and that's another profile which is also missing. So yeah, there's at least six profiles which I'm missing.
1: F- f- fills the set-piece
3: taker yeah. as well. Yeah, probably. exactly. Someone who, can. yeah, that could be the set-piece taker, the set piece there, Ideally, if they can do all that, they probably can take set pieces as well. So, <laughs> but I, I don't think it's something which set pieces are massively important for, for Farquhar. I don't think he really put loads of emphasis on them. Um, i Gladbach, glad back. He, he already had someone who was a very good set piece taker in Hoffman, who was just fantastic at set pieces. A very good player. I'd never watched him before, I don't really watch much Bundesliga. I know you watch a bit more of Bundesliga, don't you, Hostie?
1: I've watched it. I haven't watched much no, this year. Fair enough in all honesty, but yeah, yeah. Hoffman is a yes. good player. Yeah,
3: so they had someone like him at Gladbach, so I think it's something which maybe if, if that player was already in the in the side, he'll be happy to have a set-piece taker and take some extra goals, but I don't think it's something that he gives massive emphasis on.
1: Yeah, I guess the only question I have there is I know that we've discussed last week about bringing in maybe more midfielders, but do you not think the role of a player alongside the ball winner and short passer, the long passer and uh, can make carries. Could that be taken up by someone like Louis Bay or Darko JB? Yeah,
2: that's... yeah I'd like to jump on that one. I was I was I was itching to make that exact point. So yeah, I'm 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 more more JB prop, that's what I'm here for. Yeah, I think JB could be the kind of the progressive of the of the double the, the double pivot. Absolutely, and Fark has shown that he's happy to give a chance to young players. It's one thing he's done so you know Fark is to come in and that feels like he's the most likely of the two. Would not be surprised at all to see JB making it. I mean, i made this point on the previous buy sell loan pod, and and I think getting Farkin early emphasises that. I think JB gets a gets a role in his team, if not starting the season. I think he'll have it because I think he's, he's, he's press resistant, his passing's okay, he can crash the box, box. I mean, it's not his primary focus, but I think he can crash the crash the box. So I think he'd love him. Yeah, I think absolutely.
3: Yeah, I'd I'd agree with um, JB being that more progressive of the two central midfielders. He profiles very similarly to um, a player which Fark has been using at Gladbach recently, um, Manu Kone. Uh, He's a fantastic player, um, and he is very similar to what JB brings. He's very good at carrying the ball. His press resistance is good, um, but he's probably got more of of crashing the box into his role. Uh, So he was the ideal player for... Farker in that sense, and I will be more than happy to give JB some time at doing that, game coached well in pre-season, getting ready to take it and really give him a lot of game time, because we need to trust these young players at some point, at least a couple of them. We don't need to give all of them starting positions, but if we can at least get one or two of our talented youngsters into this squad, then yeah, I will be more than happy for that.
2: Probably a season too soon for Archie Gray, but he... He's Stieperman, isn't he? He's like kind of attacking eight rather than a pure 10. Yeah. And he's quite a, quite a physical boy, actually, great, to be fair. You know, he isn't like Steepermans was. He can he can drive through, he can score a goal, great. So in terms of profile, he's probably the closest we've got to Stieperman. And you kind of wonder if Fark if does come in that he, you know, he makes you sort of Aronson for that in the, in the short term on the proviso that he gets to bring actually go for it long term. But I don't know. I mean, that's just. Just thinking out loud. Um but yeah, we need we need a creator, we need someone that's gonna get the foot on the ball and slow the play down and, 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 and sort of dictate. So if we're gonna copy Norwich then we need an, an you know, a, a right sided kind of ten, don't we? When dear or well, the way Pablo did, did it. So I've no idea who that player is. The only other the only other thing is I'm thinking if that player doesn't exist, does Farker adjust his system and buy a more traditional ten in? Does he go and buy an you know an Ilias chair or someone like that from from QPR, that type of player, just to try and get that kind of that same level of creativity, but from that kind of traditional ten position. Yeah, that's
3: yeah, that's quite, that's quite possible that he could do it that way. Because it is very difficult to find someone who is as comfortable in wide areas and in more central areas as what he had with Mendia. Yeah. And if we can can get someone who is more of a traditional ten, I'm sure that wouldn't be something which
1: farco would be against. Okay, so yeah, that's Daniel farco We it's a long pod at the moment. Hope you're all still here. But we've got a couple of more questions, just general regarding both of them and what might happen. So, do either of your opinions change from last week's pod on players that you thought, or players that you thought would stay or go, if either of these two managers get in? Uh, Dan, we'll go to you first.
2: A, a little bit on perhaps Strike and Melier in that if Corbrand comes in to work with them before, maybe they'll be less. they might be more inclined to stay. A little bit. I mean, I mean, it sounds like Melia going anyway. But maybe Strike. We kind of we're all thinking maybe Strike goes this summer. There's a chance that maybe you know Corbran having that working relationship with him talks him around into staying, perhaps. But that's about it, really. That's all I can think of, to be honest.
1: And mine, um,
3: I don't think so. I don't, I don't think there's that. I don't think my opinion would change massively. I know I mentioned Tyler Adams as a player that he would like, but I don't think it should impact it too much. I mean it's possible that he may be able to convince Adams to stay, um, because it's obviously a player who he's played in Germany before as Adams, so he should be he should know of um Daniel Farker. So that's maybe something which could maybe convince him that he may say that we can do this and we'll come straight, go straight back up and he can be the key player in midfield. But I don't think it should make a massive amount of difference. I think most of the players who I said should go, I think probably will still go. Um so, you know, I don't think that my opinion changed too much.
2: Yeah, maybe, maybe Somerville on the strike point, you know, again, Coburn has that relationship with Somerville, perhaps can convince him to stay, but, you know, that's that's it really, yeah.
1: Okay, and so after you've watched more of both of these managers, I think I've got a general opinion of, or an idea of what your answers are going to be to this, but do you think that they would be able to get us promoted back to the Premier League? Martin? Yeah,
3: I, I think Flacker would be able to, as long as we do recruit well. That's probably. As important as Farker, if we don't recruit well and bring in the wrong profiles for him or bring in profiles who end up getting injured a few a few weeks into the season because we're not doing our due diligence with the players that we're signing, we need to ensure that we're bringing in players who will be available for him and that he does get the squad that he needs because there's a lot of work to be done on the squad. And I think Farker has everything to him to get us promoted. It's just whether the rest of the backroom staff can keep up with what they need to do.
2: Done. Yeah, so yeah, I feel both could get us up as long as the recruitment doesn't have to be fantastic, just solid, um, and we don't lose too much. It's not like some kind of crazy churn that a lot of people are predicting. Um, when we're looking at the, we're, we're looking at, we're talking about Colbran last night in the Discord, and someone worked out that his time at West Brom was something like one point seven seven points per game, basically good for eighty points a season. But remember, he joined a team that was in the relegation zone at the back end of October, so extrapolating could if you took over pre season had a slightly stronger squad could that eighty point total be ninety point total which gets you up automatically you know you could you could make an argument in that respect. So uh, I fancy Corbran to get us up if like I say recruitment was solid and I'd probably be happier going to the Premier League with Corbran than Fark but I would probably enjoy Fark ball more. So you know I'm kind of on the fence a bit really. Um I don't think I'm gonna I'm I'd be fairly happy with both. I think both are good coaches. Um so you know take your take your pick. When he, you know, you get yeah, some so, upside, you get some downside.
1: Yeah, so Dan, you've uh, you've touched on there a slight concern with Farker if we were to go up and keeping us up. Martin, would you have any concerns? I
3: don't think I would because I think the problem with Norwich was there were issues in the squad which they needed to address and I don't think they really addressed them when they went up both times. Uh, I don't think it's in their interest to spend a big one to get to the Premier League, which seems bizarre to me. <laughs> but yeah, maybe it's just that they're not capable of doing it. Um, they could may, may not have the same sort of resources that we do when it comes to commercial income and match day income, sponsorships, all the rest of it that goes into it. And firstly, we are a bigger club than what Norwich are. I know a lot of people don't think how big we are. Obviously, we're not one of the biggest clubs in the world, but we are bigger than what Norwich are, at least in terms of the money we bring in from merchandising. We've got a worldwide following, so we we can generally spend more when we get to the Premier League and we have demonstrated that. So. If the war was problems in Parkside side that he wanted to address, I would be confident that we would at least have the money to sort those out when we get to the Premier League and bring in profiles who would be good enough for the Premier League. It's, it's possible some we could bring in some loan players just to get us through the Championship and then bring in more permanent players when we get up, but we'll see. Um, I, I do think that he should be capable of it, it's just maybe with a bit more investment. And like man said there, it's possible that core Tactical identity could maybe maybe not need as much Justin and as much investment to keep up in the Premier League because his style is already more well suited to a team who is further down the league, one who is set up to counter you know he's shown that he can set up that sort of thing, and that's not really something which was ever really shown that he could do. He tried do he tried doing it when he went to the Premier League both times and. I think he, he, he tried to attack more more fluidly and that didn't work. That was more, more on the players and he tried, and he couldn't really set up set all to be counter-attacking because the scheme wasn't built like that. So <laughs> there is some provisos there, but I do think that he would just be able to keep up if we did get the investment right.
1: I think the final question, then you've both kind of answered this as well. If either of these two take over, will it be fun to watch, Martin? Yeah,
3: I think we should enjoy watching Farkball there's a lot to like about it. We will look to dominate the ball. We will look to attack with fluidity. We won't be doing what we've had beyond Jesse match. It will be at least more fun than what we've, we've been, been exposed to recently. And I know that's quite a low <laughs> a low thing to get over, but I do think that it should be relatively fun. Um, I know one Norwich fan, and she was very happy with the way Norwich were on under Farker. enjoyed watching them play, and was bragging about them all. How, often, how amazing the work, quite often. So I think he's quite well-liked by Norwich fans in general, and they seem kind of uh, as like their else figure because he's gotten promoted twice, um, and I don't think they wanted him to go when he did. But, yeah, I think it will be fun. And Dan?
2: I think, yeah, well, I think, yeah, Colburn, I think more interesting rather than fun. It's, it's not like, you know, it's not swashbuckling, fun, sexy football, but it's, it's kind of interesting, and I think he'll have different tactical approaches for different games You might adapt to different players so I think it'd be more I don't know intellectually stimulating I guess trying to work out what he's doing but in terms of I mean, there'll be a lot of games that are stodgy and we don't enjoy and we'll be grumbling why is he not going to throw an attacker on type type grumble so yeah I wouldn't use the word fun but I think it'd be more interesting for, uh, for Corbron where Fark would be yeah fun in the traditional sense you know attacking lots of nice fun wing play and you know attacking play
1: yeah I think for me Fark will be fun every game kind of no matter what yeah. Whereas I think Corburn's will be fun if it's working and we're winning, yeah, um kind of like when we had Gary Monk in that sense I think I think that's kind of what what we'll probably see when it's Corbyn, where we all enjoyed it, but when you look back the the football was just very solid and stodgy in that sense, so I think that we're all done on talking about the two potential managers, so we look forward to Stephen Gerard being announced on <laughs> Wednesday. And, um but more importantly, I think next week, is it the first scouting pod that we've got? It is. Yes. And we were just discussing, we should have two at least. There may be a third. Uh, depends what we actually decide we need going forward once we've got a manager.
2: And I guess it depends on the manager, doesn't it? And uh, what rumours we start to hear. Rumours will drive this as well, in the sort of players we're looking at as well. So,
3: And also, I think things could change if we do get into the transfer window quite quickly and say, for example, we sign a central midfielder at EPUM quite quickly, then we probably won't talk about them. Um, so yeah, yeah. things yeah. could adapt quite on the fly as to what
1: profiles we'll be talking about in the next episodes. It uh, all starts out, We we are agile. <laughs> so, and with that, all that's left to say is thank you, Dan. Thank you, Martin. Thank
2: you. Always, mate. It's been fun.
1: And we hope you all have a very good week. We hope we come back and lead to have a manager. And, yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.